And next, sweet-voiced muses, daughters of Zeus, well-skilled in song, tell of the long-winged moon. From her immortal head a radiance is shown from heaven and embraces earth, and great is the beauty that ariseth from her shining light. The air, unlit before, glows with the light of her golden crown, and her rays beam clear, whensoever bright Selene, having bathed her lovely body in the waters of the ocean, and donned her far-gleaming, shining team, drives on her long-maned horses at full speed, at even-time in the mid-month. Then her great orb is full, and then her beams shine brightest as she increases. So she is a sure token and a sign to mortal men. Once the son of Kronos was joined with her in love, and she conceived and bare a daughter, exceeding lovely among the deathless gods. Hail, white-armed goddess, bright Selene, mild, bright-tressed queen. Welcome to Not Your Daughter's Witchcraft, a podcast hosted by me, Lilith Amberley. If you're exploring witchcraft for something beyond the aesthetic, if some social media platforms make you cringe and say, that's not me, if you're looking to build a practice that enhances your life, then you, my friend, are in the right place. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Hey there, my friend. Welcome to episode four of Not Your Daughter's Witchcraft. What you heard in the opening of today's episode was the Homeric Hymn to Selene, and it was written around the 7th century BCE, author unknown. We know our love affair with the moon goes back even farther than that. One of the very first deities that we have record of is the Sumerian goddess Anana. The epic tales written about her date back way earlier than the Iliad and Odyssey. One of those epic poems was The Descent of Anana, and we believe it was written around 2000 BCE. There are several variances to the mythic poem, but I want you to listen for the connections to the moon in this telling. Anana was a daughter of the moon god Nana, and was believed to be the moon herself. Her sister Arishkagal was the goddess of the underworld. In the tale, Anana journeys to the underworld to pay tribute at the funeral rites of Arishkagal's first husband, the great bull of heaven. As Anana attempts to enter the underworld, Arishkagal instructs the gatekeeper to lock the seven gates. Anana is granted entrance one at a time, and at each gate she must shed a piece of herself. Her headdress, her beads, her breastplate, her clothing, until finally she stands naked before her sister. She finds Arishkagal pregnant and about to give birth. Arishkagal at that time condemns Inanna to death, and she transforms her into a corpse where she hangs in the underworld for three days and three nights. Now, Inanna was wise, and she had instructed her companion and servant to go plead for her life to the gods if she should not return. Her servant was faithful and carried out the task, and Inanna was returned to the land of the living. Now, just as a side note here, it sounds cruel even for the goddess of death to condemn her own sister to death for attending the funeral rites of her brother-in-law. But there's one thing even more dreadful than the goddess of death, and that is a woman scorned. So if one is familiar with the Epic of Gilgamesh, you would learn that Anana was responsible for the death of the Great Bull of Heaven, Arishkagal's husband. So there you have it. Anyway, the tale goes on to describe the requirement that Anana finds a replacement for herself in the underworld, and she ends up sending her own husband in her place. He ends up spending half of the year in the underworld and half on Earth. So very similar to the myth of Demeter and Persephone. But we can see through this tale how Anana's descent represents the moon and its full form on Earth, 
And as she's being stripped bare during her descent to her death of three days and three nights, and then her rebirth. Or we can look at it as her death followed by the symbolic rebirth through Arishkagal. Arainana and Arishkagal, different sides of the same, one representing the moon in its fullness and the other in its darkness, could be. So why did I decide to talk about the moon today? Well, you may or may not know that I am in the process of developing an online course called Jumpstart Your Magical Practice, and I'm so excited about it. I can't wait to share it when it's done. But right now I am deep in the development phase, and I've been asking my VIPs for feedback along the way. In a recent survey, I asked them, if you could only ever take one course on magic, what is the one topic that you would absolutely want included? Over half of the respondents said moon magic, which is not surprising. Witches and the moon are so inextricably linked. You know, think of that image of women gathering or dancing under the light of the full moon. I mean, that's become classic iconography for witchcraft. But what is it about the moon that binds her so much to the witch? As we just heard in two examples, probably of which there are hundreds, humans have worshipped the moon and marveled at her mystery since the beginning of time. The moon has been a cross-cultural symbol of eternal time since the beginning of humanity, all around the world. And what I mean by that is that it symbolizes that cyclical nature of time. So not time with a beginning or an end, and also not in perpetuity. There's a difference between eternity and perpetuity. When you hear someone say in perpetuity, that means kind of extending something in a linear fashion into the future without an end. So it's like a long line, no end to it. Eternal time, on the other hand, I think of as a circular, like the circular nature of time. So the circular nature of the day, the month, the seasons, the astrological ages, each one comes back around. Time continues to bring us back around to the same point over and over again, yet we experience it from a different perspective each time. Now the witch's relationship with the moon brings a really deep understanding and connection to that cyclical nature and to the energies associated with each part of that cycle. So today I want to talk about that cycle a little bit and how we can use it to enhance our magic. This is really about practicing our witchcraft with the timing of the moon phases. So let's start with the beginning of the moon cycle, the new moon. You may often hear the terms new moon and dark moon used interchangeably. And when you're talking about the general energy of that phase, that's fine. But there is a finely pointed difference in the two. The new moon occurs when the moon reflects that very first sliver of light from the sun after its point of total darkness. The dark moon is the period between the very last sliver of light and the very first sliver of light. I would use the very time of the dark moon for a strong banishing spell. And I might do a spell to mark the beginning of something once it hits the new moon phase. For example, I might be doing a seven day banishing spell to kick a bad habit that culminates at the time of the dark moon. I wouldn't carry that spell into the new moon because that energy is now beginning to grow. Now perhaps my timing is such I can only work my spell on the new moon. So instead of casting that banishing spell, I might want to twist it around a little bit and cast a spell to bring a new habit into my life to replace the bad one. Generally, the energy around the dark moon or the new moon is a grounding energy. So this is the time for quiet, for introspection, for a pause. It's a great time for divination, and many people find their intuition to be at its highest around this time. It's a time for shadow work and a time for concealment. 
you can harness this energy pretty much the day before the day of and the day after the dark moon. So for the most part, you don't have to be exact here. This is a great time to charge your crystals that carry a grounding energy. So those are usually your darker colored stones like black onyx, obsidian, and smoky quartz. The second phase that I want to talk about today is the full moon. You know, everybody loves to talk about the full moon. That's the sexy part. The full moon is, you know, it's full of this bright, high energy. It's an extremely magical time. So if you're looking for that extra oomph in your spell work, particularly if you're trying to manifest something, this is a great time to do that type of spell. So just like the dark moon was a good time to end a banishing spell, the full moon is a great time to end a spell of manifestation. So starting the spell on the new moon or the first quarter, really at any point between the new moon and the full moon, and then ending it on the full moon. What you don't want to do is start a spell for manifestation on the full moon if it's going to be like a multi-day type spell. Because after the full moon, the energy of the moon is waning. It's decreasing. Crystals and stones that correspond with the full moon are your clear quartz, moonstone, halite, selenite, um, light-colored stones like that. Selenite is very closely associated with the moon. Um, just watch with this. You don't want to put it outside if it's going to rain. Um, make sure when you're working with crystals or stones that you know a bit about their properties. It's not okay to get selenite wet. It's going to start to dissolve on you. Charging crystals and stones under the energy of the corresponding moon phase does two things. First, the moon's energy is going to enhance the magical properties of the crystal, so it's going to make them stronger. Second, you can use those crystals to store the energy of the moon phase and then use them whenever you need to call on that energy. So say it's close to the full moon and you really need the grounding energy of the dark moon. Maybe you don't have time to meditate or do a grounding exercise. You can grab one of your grounding stones, stick it in your pocket, and carry it with you through the day. Maybe during the dark moon phase you really need a pick-me-up. Then grab one of the stones that you charged under the full moon and carry it with you. Or you might consider taking a bath with the stone to add some of that energy to the water. Just make sure you do your research and make sure that it's safe. For example, let's go back to that selenite for a minute. So someone out there might be thinking this stone would be great to put in bath water because it's going to dissolve in the water. But what you may not know is there are at least two different compositions of selenite. The more common is calcium sulfate selenite, which is generally considered safe, but there's also sodium selenite, which is considered toxic. And you can't tell the difference just by looking at them, so you don't know which one you have. Um, so in that case, I would say, you know, better safe than sorry, and I would not put that in my bath water. The third lunar energy that I want to mention today is eclipse energy. Lunar eclipses occur during a full moon when the Earth moves directly into the path between the sun and the moon, blocking the sun's rays from illuminating the moon. An eclipse is an extra special time for magic when you need to work with, say, the hidden properties of something, or you're trying to um, fly under the radar. Now, since eclipses don't happen that often, in fact, I think the next total lunar eclipse isn't going to be until, I think it's March or April, I think it's March of 2025. I always try to make eclipse water whenever one comes around, so that way I can save it, and I can use that water in my spell work whenever I need it without having to wait for the next eclipse. So what else is it about the moon that really connects us to witchcraft? It could be its strong connection to the feminine, and also to water, which holds feminine energy. The moon is closely related not only to the cycles of time, but the cycles here on Earth, including the tides, and in mammals, the menstrual cycle. I can tell you, I never really appreciated or fully appreciated the moon's effect on the tides until I moved to coastal South Carolina. I live along a tidal river with tidal marshes surrounding me, and I can tell you that the swing in the tides whenever there's a full moon and a new moon is significant. 
and it's even greater during a king tide. Now, king tides occur during a new moon or a full moon, and when the moon and the sun are at their closest points to Earth. So the moon is very closely linked to water. Now, if you need a refresher on elemental energy, go back and listen to episodes two and three, where I talk about the elements and their properties. So we know that water is very closely associated with our emotions and our intuition. So if you couple that then with the energy of the moon, particularly at the dark moon period, where everything is very grounding, everything is just kind of below the surface, and you know that the moon is associated with water and it's associated with our intuition, you're going to find that a lot of witches use that time to do divination work. We also know, as I mentioned, that the moon is closely related to a woman's menstrual cycle. Many women's cycles correspond with the phase of the moon, with a lot of women ovulating during a full moon and menstruating during a dark moon. So the moon is very closely linked to the feminine. And while we know that there are many, many witches out there that are male, historically, when we think of witches, we do think of that feminine energy. It's very yin, meaning it's internal, it's under the surface, it's intuitive. Sometimes we need more of that energy in our work. So we can also use the moon to infuse our actual bodies with its energy. So you may have heard the classic phrase drawing down the moon, which was popularized by Wicca. Drawing down the moon or drawing down the goddess is a central ritual that historically involved the high priestess becoming filled with the energy of the goddess through a full moon ritual. The ritual, as I said, was popularized by Wicca and probably originated from the work of Charles Godfrey Leland in 1899 when he wrote Aradia, or the Gospel of the Witches. Now, Leland asserted that Aradia contained information from a manuscript that was provided to him by an Italian witch or an Italian witch informant and had been kept secret and preserved through time, and also through his own research on Italian witchcraft traditions. Aradia played a significant role in the development of Wicca by Gerald Gardner. Since then, Leland's work has fallen under heavy criticism, and we may never know for sure if Aradia was really a translation of an original manuscript provided to Leland, or if it was entirely a work of fiction. I'm thinking the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. But here's the thing, does it matter? Does it matter if the practice of drawing down the moon is some ancient ritual practiced by witches for hundreds or thousands of years, or if it was created as part of a new religion with new beliefs and new rituals? I say, like in this case, if it works, it works. And also, you don't have to be part of a Wiccan coven or be Wiccan to experience the energy of the moon through a high priestess. The moon's energy is available to all of us. Next time the moon is full, go ahead and stand in her moonbeams. Go outside um, if you can, you know, if it's safe to be there, that's certainly preferable. If not, stand inside where you can be in her light. Stand with your arms extended toward her, your head tilted upward, and imagine her energy being absorbed into every cell of your body. With each breath you take, take in more of her energy. If you can sleep in the moonlight, you can also take her energy into your body by creating moon water. Put a bowl or a glass of water outside and let it infuse in the light of the full moon or the dark moon, depending on what you're using it for, and then bring it inside the next day and drink it or add it to your bath. If you're going to drink it, make sure you have like a cover or something on it so you don't get dirt and other things in the water overnight. Also, you know, save a couple little jarfuls and then use them throughout the course of the month as you need to. It's a great way to bring in the specific energy of each moon phase into your spell work when you can't wait for the right phase. I also want to mention here that if you, if you need to cast a spell and it can't wait until a certain phase of the moon, then cast that spell. If you can't match the energy that you need to the phase of the moon, consider aligning your spell with the cycle of the day. 
the moon's energy enhances your spell work. It helps push it along in the right direction, but it isn't solely responsible for the success or the failure of your magic. Now, before we end today, I want to just mention that the next new moon is on January 21st, 2023. So if you're listening to this episode on the day it drops, um, we're just a few, few days prior to that. And the new moon will be in the sign of Aquarius. So this is the first new moon of the calendar year, and it's going to be an optimal time for planting the seeds of new projects, particularly those that involve community or a creative endeavor. It's time to bust our assumptions and start thinking outside of the box. In Tarot, Aquarius is represented by the star card in the Major Arcana, which immediately follows the tower. So this is a time of hope for the future and new beginnings on our soul's journey. Going into this new moon, take some time to evaluate where you've been over this past year. What has come to an end and what seeds need to be planted right now to help through the next phase of your journey? Now, before you go, I want to make sure that you are on my free VIP list. So go to witchlifeacademy.lilithamberly.com forward slash resources and sign up. It is free. You're going to get access to all of my free resources, including the grounding meditation exercise. And you're going to be notified of any offers coming up and any other resources as they're published. So again, it's witchlifeacademy.lilithamberly.com forward slash resources. The link is in the show notes, so you don't have to remember all of that. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, have a wonderfully magical day.